3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is 7am on Tuesday the 25th of July. My name is Carnegie and I'm in the studio today with Fung and Ivka. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. How is everyone today? I'm good, tired. Yeah. It's been a busy week full of lots of activities. I saw Little Sims last week. Oh, amazing. It was phenomenal. Like, yeah, one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. The projections really matched all of the songs and she's just doesn't miss a beat. Is so in, like impressive and talented. So that was incredible. And then last night I went to the soccer or the football, depending on <laughs> where you come from. Um, Who was playing? Germany versus Morocco. Germany won by landslide. Um, I had never seen soccer before, so I was learning the rules as I went. But it was it was fun. Yeah, one of my friends was so super into it. She was there and. Um, like narrating it on on social media so I was watching it through her basically which was really great because you get to learn because I don't know that much either so I get to learn mm. via her so that was yeah it was crazy it was, seemed really intense it was yeah I just really wanted Morocco to get one goal yeah. I think that the stadium would have erupted if that happened especially in the the last couple of goals would have happened in the last 10 minutes yeah. on, in the overtime and so I think I mean I personally would have been like oh Germany's won anyway like but they still you know pulled it out of the bag and got a couple more in there yeah I think it's cool how much um more people are watching women's sport though and that is why I wanted to go yeah. it was really cool to see that it was a full Amy stadium so it was just under 30,000 people and it's families and it was a Monday night so the the atmosphere was you know quite subdued for a football I mean yeah for a sports game yeah <laughs> in my experience yeah. clearly I go to one of them freezing Monday night yeah, yeah so it was and it was families and you know everyone just seemed excited to be at the game rather than bring in any of this negative energy that I tend mm. to associate with those sorts of things so it was really yeah really cool to see really great to see women in the like center of that yeah definitely I, I I know so many people going at the moment or at least watching and yeah you're right not even for Matilda's games like any game yeah. really and getting behind whatever team it's is so cool I feel like it's a huge shift from when we were kids you know women's sport was not on any radar and now I feel like I hear about the women's cricket world cup I hear about the soccer world cup it's so cool even the the park near my house is a there's a football ground and you know local footy has been there for the decade that I lived near there but more and more I see girls teams um and just as many of them as boys teams and it's just it's so nice to see these you know eight to twelve year olds 
they're all out there having the best time and I, you know hopefully that means when they come up it will just continue to be normalized and encouraged and money put behind it because that's the biggest difference at the moment absolutely yeah hopefully the the pay gap closes um sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. all right let's talk about what's coming up on today's show uh so we're going to be starting with a discussion we're having about some recent news um Coming from New South Wales, can I get you want to tell us more about it? Sure. There's been a parliamentary inquiry into birth trauma in New South Wales. Um, this is a subject we regularly explore here on Tuesday Breakfast. So uh, we thought we'd have a chat about what we've read and what you know we've learnt from our interviews as well here in Victoria. Afterwards, we'll be speaking with visual artist, uh, photographer, maker Nang from Myanmar. Uh, she is here at the moment. She is going to be at an event tomorrow night at Black Spark Cultural Centre called Focus on Myanmar, Art, Music and Resistance. So she'll come on the show to talk about her work and using art as a tool for change um, as well as situation in Myanmar since the coup in 2021. And after that, we'll be speaking with uh, Amelia from CAF, that is the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, uh, there's going to be a protest this Saturday in Sunshine West to protest a Nazi recruitment event um, that is being advertised as a white powerlifting meet uh, with some seminars and speeches. So um, CAF and other left-wing activists are going to be um, protesting this event and the rise of Nazism um, openly in in Nam uh, this Saturday. So we'll be speaking to Amelia about that. And after that, we'll be speaking with Belinda Noble, who is the founder of an organisation called Comms Declare, which is a collection of uh, communications agencies and organisations that are actively fighting against climate change. And she'll be on the show to talk to us about the dangers of greenwashing and how companies that are actually really high polluting are misrepresenting themselves to consumers. And to end the show, we'll be listening to some Vox Pops from the Smith Street Dreaming Festival, which took place on the 15th of July. So we've got a big show coming up. We'll be right back with the news headlines after this. Where does the profit your power company makes end up? If you join CoPower, you get to decide where 100% of our revenue goes. So while we work to dismantle the whole broken energy market, our members are building the world they want to live in by supporting strike funds, renewables projects, anti-poverty initiatives, and much more. So change your power company and then start changing everything else. That's what CoPower is all about. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR you're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. These are your news headlines for this morning, the 25th of July. The Italian far-right government has decided to limit the parental rights of same-sex couples. Premier Giorgia Maloney's far-right-led government has made this decision, uh, and Milan, the last city registering both parents in same-sex relationships on a child's birth certificate, has been asked by the government to stop officially recording this. Italy's gay party formed in 2020 to give political heft to the fight against anti-gay discrimination estimates that some 
150,000 children are impacted by Italy's failure to recognize the rights of both parents in same-sex marriages and relationships. That includes hundreds in the city of Milan. Gay Party spokesperson Fabrizio Marazzo has called on Italian mayors to subvert the government's request and continue to register both same-sex parents as an act of civil disobedience, saying that when norms are discriminatory, mayors need to have the courage to say so. Uh, news from closer to home. There is a growing body of evidence to show that cultural safety is key for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people when they give birth on country, as they have been doing for the last 600,000 years. The president of the uh, Congress of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Nurses and Midwives has explained birthing on country as being cared for throughout your pregnancy journey by a midwife who is known to you in ways that meet your cultural needs. A recent Australian Institute of Health and Welfare report found that almost 9 in 10 Indigenous babies have a healthy birth weight with numbers rising between 2005 and 2020. The study, which is the first of its kind in over 15 years, explores demographics, risk factors and health outcomes for Indigenous birthing people and their babies. You can read more at corymail.com. Wildlife Victoria, the state's leading emergency wildlife rescue service, is reporting a 55% increase in gunshot wounding related cases since the inception of the kangaroo harvesting program in 2019. The Victorian government financially incentivized the killing of kangaroos for pet meat and leather in 2019, though the program now extends to kangaroo meat for human consumption. Concerns for kangaroo welfare have been under heavy scrutiny overseas, with states across the U.S. moving to ban the import of kangaroo skins, meats and products. Victorian local governments, including Mount Alexander and Mornington Peninsula Shires, are lobbying the state government to have their municipalities removed from the harvesting program. A review of the program with an updated plan is expected to commence in January 2024. Hundreds of Pacific Islander workers will be found new jobs after labour hire from Lynx had its licence revoked overnight by the federal government after a sustained union campaign. Lynx workers were relying on charities across Australia to meet basic food and accommodation needs. The union, which represents the workers, the Australian Workers' Union, tracked the vulnerable workers from Tasmania to Queensland. The National Secretary has said that AWU members working for Lynx have complained of having their workers' visas withheld, refusal by Lynx to provide payslips, bullying and threats to send workers home when concerns were raised, and excessive deductions from workers' pay for substandard accommodation, saying that Lynx's business model amounts to modern-day slavery. Diplomats from Samoa, Vanuatu and PNG have also been informed of these developments. These Pacific Islander workers are participants in the Palm Scheme, which offers them agricultural work picking fruit and vegetables here in Australia. Those are our news headlines for this morning. We are going to go to a track now. Yeah, so we're going to play you a song by Kai, who, a, who is a Zimbabwean-born, London-raised and now Nam-based R&B musician who has worked with the likes of Bodra and uh, Sampa the Great. We're going to play you a version of her song, Ribena, that features actor and singer-songwriter Aisha Madden. Here is Ribena, syrup version by Kai, featuring Aisha Madden.
crazy and you're the connoisseur of what you do Ooh, I've been tasting all your flavors, got me craving I'll be saying ooh, ooh, I'm amazing Sugar crazy and you're the connoisseur of what you do the song Rabina by Kai featuring Aisha Madden. So as we mentioned earlier, uh, there has been a recent inquiry, parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales uh, into birth trauma. Um, the It's basically about the spectrum and prevalence of birth-related trauma in our communities, um, which is something we do explore on on our show quite regularly as well as other shows across 3CR. Uh, Last week there was a panel discussion run by local consumer advocacy group Better Birds Illawarra in New South Wales which brought together midwives, uh, obstetricians as well as politicians to discuss solutions to the rates of women experiencing birth trauma Um, and stats actually show it's one in three women who experience birth trauma in Australia which is incredibly concerning um so the panel encouraged them to make submissions to this inquiry before the 11th of august deadline some of these traumatic experiences that were discussed uh include being pressured into inductions despite not wanting them um just having health concerns dismissed not being listened to um, not being trusted when women know about their own bodies and undergoing actual medical procedures without consent, um, which is a really, you know, huge range of really awful uh, traumatic events. And you can only imagine what a combination of that would do to birthing people, um, which is a really vulnerable time for everybody involved, um, the birthing person, their partner, their support systems. And as we've discussed on the show as well, um, the medical system is incredibly difficult to navigate at the best of times for people who were born here, who speak the language fluently, who understand the basics of how the systems work, let alone for, you know, communities that don't have those privileges. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of these people are putting their trust into these professionals and this system that might not be able to advocate for them when when push comes to shove and they're in this, you know, highly stressful situation, like you said. Exactly. Mm. I mean, it is, you know, what everyone is taught to trust the medical professional. Mm. Um, So it makes sense that you would put yourself in their hands at this time. It seems like such a real, um, real life consequence of, you know, a, a healthcare system that's under so much pressure you know, lack of funding, lack of space, um, low-paid nurses. This seems like a direct 
cause or consequence of, of all of that happening all at once has real life effects on the people who are seeking these medical treatments and yeah. this medical advice. Absolutely. And, you know, as we've seen in so many facets of, uh, I think, not only the medical system, but so many systems, is that women and gender diverse people are the people getting left behind. Like, not only birthing people, but midwives who are overwhelmingly women um, are quitting, at least in Victoria, in huge numbers because of the stress of being involved in such a high trauma environment. Um, we did an interview um, at the start of the year with a, a midwife who is also a birthing educator who talked about how stressful the industry is and how so many midwives don't want to be associated with the trauma that women experience during birth because they try to advocate against it. Um, but the medical system is such that, you know, especially after COVID, I think people want uh, beds empty, women in and out of the hospital. Um, so it's it's quite concerning. And, yeah, it's it's always interesting how it's women and gender diverse people who are the most affected when something like this happens. Yeah, I think it does it doesn't even have to be within the birthing space where women and gender diverse people feel like they're not being listened to mm. in these spaces. Absolutely. You know, I a few years ago through high school I would get a pain in the side of my body and after about seven years of being told it was a muscle spasm, I found out that it was a cyst on my ovary that was the size like eight centimetre in diameter and it ended up twisting my ovary and I had to get emergency surgery twice to get it sorted and I was mm, 21 when that happened and it just I spent years afterwards thinking if I had have been taken seriously earlier, I'm not sure that those things were related, but it's pretty, it was exactly the same spot. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I just wish they had the time and the resources, but also listened to an 18 year old that was saying, my body doesn't feel right. Can you please do something about it? And they were very, very dismissive. And so I think about that often, especially because that surgery was, it was in the same spot as you would get a cesarean and it's not as intense but the recovery was eight weeks and I just thought that whole time, imagine if I had a baby now to look after and care for and I was going through this major surgery recovery and it was like hard enough and I just, yeah, it's, you know, not the same situation but it really put it into perspective for me what what the recovery of a cesarean is and if women are feeling like they're being pushed into that route when they didn't want to, like I just, yeah, can't imagine the trauma that that would leave you with. Well, exactly. And, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a woman that hasn't had some sort of experience like that where they haven't totally. been believed. Or, and, you know, it is a spectrum. Like, the scale is so vast of this kind of experience, um, even with, like, endometriosis pain or mm -hmm. now yeah, they're just... I was going to say, yeah. well, we've interviewed, is it Gemma, yeah. on the show before about that ex this exact issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she talks a lot. She's, you know, people often think that, someone who's a magistrate and like has worked as a lawyer for a number of years and is outspoken politically wouldn't have any issue advocating for themselves in the medical system but Gemma has been on the show a few times to talk about how she finds it so hard and even with that level of you know what society views as kind of respectability um 
not it's mm. just she's still not listened to at all yeah what society views as respectability and like education yeah. levels of education yeah. <laughs> like it's not about that um reminds me of the interview that i did with daisy for women on the line as well where daisy talked exactly about that and even using that example of being a lawyer and still feeling like you know she couldn't really advocate for herself or in um, certain situations well she was saying you know it really should be not up to the individual or their partners or you know their loved ones within their circle to have to do all of this emotional labor it should be a service that is provided by the healthcare system so that you don't have to think about that and worry and feel like you're constantly having to put in extra effort to advocate Mm. for yourself because as you said at the start Kanegi it's like such a vulnerable time birth but other medical procedures it's sometimes the most vulnerable you can be and you do put your trust we've been taught to put your trust in these systems and that they know better and it's just it that those two things coming to a like a convergence Mm. in those moments you're like but I just you know it's not right Exactly. And you're not left with any any way to make yourself heard, which you shouldn't have to make yourself. I guess that's the whole point. It should just be, you know, the standard. Of course. <laughs> and um, Daisy, who's my partner, um, Daisy and I, were, went, when we went into the whole uh, process with, you know, IVF, having a baby and all of that, it immediately we were like we're two women so the chances of being listened to and believed are like lower and one of us is brown so it was like you know we we were so aware that we we had to go like so above and beyond to gather the amount of information and support that we needed to be able to even begin to advocate for ourselves which is exactly not how it should be at all um but a recent survey of a thousand women by the Australasian Birth Trauma Association has showed that eighty percent of women experience a symptom of postnatal post-traumatic stress order stress disorder after a traumatic birth, which is massive. Like birth is too much a normal part of society for this to be a statistic. Um, so midwives are now pushing for empowering birth experiences through continuity of care. Um, this is another thing we've talked about a lot. You touched on it with your interview with Daisy as well. Um, with I think she was saying that, that that made the biggest difference. But to access something like that, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge and money, to be honest, um, which shouldn't be the case. It should be available to absolutely everybody going through the birthing system. Um, and yeah, we've we've also spoken to um, Joe, the midwife, who who talked about the way that she teaches her birthing classes and the things that she tells couples um, and people going through the birthing system about. It's just basic information that is not given to you in the system that you have to do an external birth class for. That actually changes how you view the entire thing. Um, one of the one of the things that she tells people in her class is you can put anything you want on your birth plan and that blows people's minds like which like you would think is a normal thing like it's your birth you can choose what you want or don't want but people just think that certain things are mandatory like you know vaginal checks and um, or at some point you're gonna have to get an induction none of that 
is mandatory at all. And so, you know, just that kind of basic information makes a huge difference to potential birth trauma. Um, so yeah, hopefully Victoria follows suit and implements a similar program. Um, we do know we have the same issues here as well. And yeah, I think obviously this should be a nationwide thing. And I'm really, really pleased that there's more and more awareness being raised and more and more organizations and women and midwives and professionals and birthing people are talking about their experiences as well. All right, um, we are going to go to a song now. Yeah, so Rebel Riot is a punk band from Yangon, Myanmar, formed in 2007 after the onset of the Saffron Revolution. During this time in Myanmar, many people were protesting against the oppression and corruption of the military system and Rebel Riot were playing small underground gigs. They wanted to use music as a way to speak about freedom and the errors of the current political system. This song is from their 2021 album One Day and it's called Women at the Front. Women at the Front by punk band Rebel Riot. Their music will be featured at an event held tomorrow night called Focus on Myanmar, Art, Music and Resistance at Black Spark. We'll be right back with an interview with Meiko Neng right after these messages. Focus on Myanmar, Art, Music and Resistance. 
Join Past the Mic Media at Black Spark on Wednesday the 26th of July for a presentation about art, music and resistance since the February 2021 military coup of Myanmar. Featuring a statement and music from Chaw Chaw and Myanmar punk band The Rebel Riot, the photography of 2023 World Press Photo Award winner Mal Kam Wah, and a presentation and Q&A with Myanmar photographer Mako Nang. Tickets are on a sliding scale via Humanitics. As always, no one turned away. More details are available on the Black Spark event page. Focus on Myanmar, art, music and resistance. 5.30pm, Wednesday the 26th of July at Black Spark. Hosted by Pastor Mike Media, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. Meiko Nang is a contemporary visual artist born in Myanmar. She began her photographic career working in a small photo studio in Yangon and has gone on to exhibit her socially inspired fine art photography at various art festivals and biennales. Alongside her personal photographic projects, Meiko Nang works with Yangon Photo Festival, Myanmar's largest annual photography event since 2011. One of her main roles was assisting with the teaching of photography throughout the country, particularly in areas with little or no access to photographic education. In 2022, Meiko Nang published Burma Spring, a book presenting 14 Burmese and Rohingya poets and six photographers. She currently has work showing at the Australian National University as part of the exhibition called How to Quantify Fear. Tomorrow evening, Mako will be presenting at the event Focus on Myanmar, Art, Music and Resistance at Black Spark. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Mako. Hello. Mako, uh, welcome to 3CR. I wanted to start by talking about your barricades project. So during the 2021 coup d'etat, you were at the barricades photographing landscapes and portraits of people who were there. Yeah. Can you tell us more about these series of photos and what you were able to capture during those 50 days that you were there? Yes, um, and thanks for inviting for the talks. And then this is uh, one of my experience in in coup d'état. Yes, uh, when the coup d'état happened, military had been arrested with the police and soldiers together to their civilian houses, and uh, violent and arrested in their own home. So that's why the people started to build a barricade in their corner of their own street. That's the first symbol of the resistance and revolution started. So that's why I wanted to document at the every morning 6 a.m. to take picture of the civilian have been built their own barricade every day updated because at night even the barricade military and soldiers have been arriving with their track and arrested the people thousand and thousand and thousand within a week and within a month after a month. So this 50 days, I have been running around the middle of the city in Yango. That's a, one of the pictures I have been showing in the exhibition right now. Yeah, and uh, if if any listeners are interested, they can look up your work from this series. Um, it's really quite striking, these portraits of people, most of them wearing masks, staring directly into the camera. Um, yeah. Can you talk about um, 
I guess, some of the conversations that you were having with these people as you were taking their, their portraits? What were, yeah. Did you have a, um, conversations with them about how they were feeling and, and what they were concerned about uh, during this time? Yes, yes. That's a one of a, that's a one of my in, in, interesting interview. This is the civilians are arriving to the street and the protester. So I try to contact with them, interview first uh, the old stranger. What I have been founded, the layer of the people identities like government social worker, gay pride leader. At the same time, the journalist and then ethnic city and students. I, I try to talk about them and a connection. At the same time, uh, COVID happened under the, under the COVID. So people have been wearing masks and then they against the street in the chanting about our losing democracy. So I try to understand their anger, their sadness, they are fall apart. And I try to figure that they can you show your expression by your eyes. Because at the same time, the identities of the people who is protesting, we have to protect their IDs because that's a very possible to arrest that of their picture. So the marks have been trying to express about their eyes. So the series of the eyes of the portrait and the landscape is one of the part of my project. So through the barricade and then portrait, I have been also built the barricade in the middle of the museum. That's a one of the part of the project about my resistance as a tool of an artwork. Yeah, and in those landscapes that you were talking about just now, it, it's a really stark difference between your landscape photos and your portrait photos because yes. in the landscapes it's it's empty. You've just you're just showing the barricades, and in the yes. portraits, uh, most of the 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 canvas is is really taken up by these um, these protesters' faces. So it is um, they're both very powerful um, pieces of work. I also wanted to ask you about the data that you collected yeah. from research of public statistics on the situation in Myanmar after the coup d'etat. I was yeah. wondering if you could read out uh, three or four of these statistics for our listeners and then explain perhaps the concepts behind this work. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, This is one of my uh, other art, art pieces I exhibit in the um, exhibition. And the, the name of the statement is um, how to quantify the amount of fear that's one of the art pieces and based on the statistic data. And now I'm going to read it by contrastly, by data and then feeling as a poetic way. The total amount of children killed by military Honda, 282 persons. Total amount of food data, three times, 1962, 1988, 2021. Total amount of your question, how can I help you? Total amount of insecurity. Total amount of violence against civilians, 371,000. Total amount of teardrop. Yeah, this is the one of the statements I have been contrasting in my artwork. There's a huge number we can describe about how many total amount of people uh, have been relocated, total amount of villages have been burned down by military airstrike. At the same time, total amount of students cannot go to school. That kind of data I have been putting and questioning. Uh, at the same time, this is a data which is open, collective from their public publishing. For example, like researcher and the media, at the same time, 
after two years of coup d'etat, what happened only in two years after the military regime. That is one of the statements I wanted to calculate. I wanted to talk about the number. I wanted to describe about how Myanmar people have been suffered for two years. So that's one of my um, one of my continued uh, project about the the country, how to represent it. Our country has been suffered. Yeah, and I think, you know, for people who read the news about what happens in Myanmar, we yeah. will occasionally come across statistics of the amount of, you know, civilians killed, the amount of well, the type of destruction, but to have all of these statistics all on, all on one page, it is um, very confronting and, and very powerful. And, and the last line, the total of ma- amount of your economic benefits from our political situation as well, yeah. just, uh, I guess, um, yeah. forcing the, the, the audience to directly engage with your yeah. work and, and reflect on their own role in this yeah. as well. Yeah, that's also the questioning by an artist that the one of the, one of the questioning about sometimes I use a your like what to the amount of your question, how can I help you? That's also I have been directly reaction interaction to the audience like that kind of things. And then that's that's one of my projects about why why have been could it happen? Also I wanted to question to the what happened right now with the economic also. Mm. Yeah. I read on the ANU websites that you view art as not merely a medium through which you question the state of Burmese society, but it is also a tool to change women's place in society. Uh, can you speak more to this idea of art being a tool for change? I see. Yeah, the, the, that's a question. As a, Right now, as a Burmese, as a Myanmar citizen, we have been trying to put it our resistance so whatever we are, if we have a money we support with the with the money budget to build the resistance have been more continuing. If we are a business person, we, we're trying to get the more support. If I'm an artist, now I'm using art as a change. As a woman also, one of the reasons I wanted to describe about that um uh genetic and also Conservated from the regime, from the military. The part of the reason could happen, the reason of leading women. And, and as the, even they have been doing that. And in the revolution, at the spring revolution in Myanmar, this two year, two and a half year happened. A lot of women are involved in all the underground, any liver, front line, back line. And also, this is the one of the women have been represented. Equally, sometimes it's more, more than enough of the woman power. So that's a, one of my reasons. As a, even an art, even an art scene, even a rebellion scene, and that, that's one of my rules. I wanted to represent the society of women in Myanmar. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you're talking about, you were, you were talking just now about revolution, about change, women are everywhere. They're, yeah. like you said, behind the scenes, at the front lines. They've always been there. They've always been part of um, resistance movements and grassroots movements um, in every everywhere across the world. And, and yet yeah. so often uh, they're invisible or, or, or silenced. So yeah. um, I imagine that Yes, using using art in this way to really highlight the the role and power of women is is really important. Yeah, that's even there. That's very important. Even the military regime have been happening because of the women leader for ten years in our country, and even that the women are not stop. Artists, a lot of women artists are continuing against the military. 
a lot of different um, kind of uh, different kind of uh, variety and different kind of stage we mm. have. Finally, Meiko, uh, I wanted to ask you about tomorrow's event. Yes. You will be attending the event Focus on Myanmar Art, Music and Resistance at Black Spark. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about uh, your presentation at this event and what um, attendees can expect? Yes, and tomorrow that's going to be very exciting to have a screening projection about Myanmar Resistance through the Pan's Music by the River Riot and they have been iconic of the rebellion uh, artwork producing in the coup d'etat time and then always continuing against this with the music and the art by art and what are we going to review about the uh, Canberra exhibition I have been doing at the same time there's a, one of the um, PDF photographers I have been exhibiting in ENU and Mark Canwa have been trying to capture one and a half year in Scandline. That's going to be PDF called People's Defense Force, and we have been curating the photograph of uh, the defense line, how they face the reality in the underground. So that's going to be photo projection, art, and then the music. We are going to talk about that tomorrow. And then in Melbourne, I wanted to invite it who wanted to understand it about Myanmar and then concern about Myanmar situation. And this is one of the uh, open windows we can invite people. And thank you so much for interviewing for today. Thank you, Mako, for joining us on 3CR Breakfast and talking about your art, talking about uh, resistance uh, in the time of, um, you know, military control, coup d'etat in Myanmar. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for for speaking to us this morning. Um, And for those who are attending Black Spark, I'm sure um, they'll be looking forward to tomorrow's event. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, And this is a big opportunity about Myanmar country and Myanmar voices. You have been A on right now, and this is one of our hopes. Speaking to us uh, just now was contemporary visual artist Meiko Nang. Meiko will be presenting at tomorrow night's event, Focus on Myanmar, Art, Music and Resistance at Black Spark Cultural Centre. If you'd like to have uh, like to have a look at photos of Meiko's work, uh, please visit our show notes later this morning. We'll provide a link to the current exhibition that's being held at Australian National University. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to 855 AM. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. 
Left-wing activists from the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism will hold a protest this Saturday on the 29th of July against a two-day recruitment event being hosted by the National Socialist Network in Sunshine West. The protesters will stand up for the rights of migrants, refugees and LGBTI people and obviously against racism. The Nazi recruitment event is advertised as a white powerlifting meet combined with seminars and speeches and will be held by the National Socialist Network in partnership with the previously defunct group European Australian Movement. Community Group Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, or CAF, are saying enough is enough. Joining us this morning to tell us more about the protest this Saturday is Amelia from CAF. Amelia is a student at RMIT, CAF organizer, and a member of Socialist Alternative. Welcome to 3CR, Amelia. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, So the Nazi recruitment event this Saturday is being advertised as a white powerlifting meet. Um, Do you think that movements like this specifically target men that are influenced by this kind of growing influence of, you know, far-right misogynists like Andrew Tate and the rise of toxic masculinity? Yeah, I definitely think that they have used both racism and intense misogyny um, in order to mobilise around kind of gym events and, uh, you know, a build within so-called kind of men's spaces um, which is totally facilitated by the fact that there are reasonably mainstream uh, sexist figures who have become incredibly popular over the last few years, people like Andrew Tate, um, which, you know, I think has definitely played the role of uh, normalising a bunch of this intense uh, misogyny and intense sexism. Um, Andrew Tate talks about things like, um, you know, wearing a sword um, on his belt around his house so that women don't say no to him. Um, and so... You know, they are able to really uh, yeah, build out of a kind of growing um, misogyny um, and also, um, you know, hatred towards immigrants and, and refugees um, in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the previous rally that CAF held in Sunshine West had over 500 protesters standing up against the neo-Nazi presence. Are you expecting this protest to have similar numbers? I mean, I think it would be absolutely great if it had numbers like that. Um, one of the things about this event is that it's been called um, in really short notice. So it was only on Saturday evening that they put out the, the notice about this event, I think partly in response to the fact that there have been so many mobilisations against them um, over the past year. They clearly know that um, we're going to come again. Um, but since it's so lo- like kind of last minute, I think it's even more important that people who are anti-fascist and um, want to be a part of a movement to oppose the far right um, come along. Um, One of the ways that these uh, protests uh, actually have an effect is by showing that the left is so much stronger, actually, than the really fringe groups of of far right, uh, you know, Nazis and and so on. And so the more people you get out in the streets, it's both, like, um, more empowering for people who are, you know, affected by um, the ideas that the Nazis are spouting, Um, But it's also just more effective um, at proving that these people are backwards and insignificant and that, um, you know, not allowing them basically to to grow and to continue to mobilise. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, CAF has always said that the point of these sort of consistent protests is to show the far right that, you know, the community is opposed to this sort of ideology and to stop it from, you know, stop them from becoming emboldened. Um, They've, you know... 
the caucus uh, helped protest uh, anti-LGBTI events as well. Um, can you tell us why it's important to just consistently be a presence uh, out in the streets and show up and how this has worked in the past? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things is about saying that, you know, for the far right specifically, one of the reasons why we want to show up is to prevent them from actually continuing to, um, you know, grow and mobilise and, um, you know, be a bigger force in the Australian political scene. And the way that you've been able to beat back groups like these in the past has been through consistent mobilisation. Because of what you said about it shows that Amelia, are you still there? I think Amelia might have dropped off. Uh, we will just go to a quick message and try and get it back on the line. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. CR Tuesday Breakfast. We were just in the middle of a chat with Amelia from CAF um, and we have Amelia back on the line. Hi again, Amelia. Hi, don't know what happened there. Yeah. Um, so you were just talking about, you know, why it's important to have the numbers ready in the streets. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really important because that's actually the way that you beat back these um, figures and these organisations that really their goal is how can we grow and how can we begin to um, build a more serious far-right movement in Australia. And so for people who want to oppose that, um, it's about mobilising against them um, in a way that both proves that their politics are kind of fringe and, um, uh, you know, actually don't reflect the views of people um, in the community they try and grow in, um, as well as you know, actually empowering the people who, who they're targeted, uh, who are targeted by, um, you know, uh, far-right politics. So I think there's something really important about saying that people who are, you know, um, uh, immigrants and um, LGBTQI people um, in Australia are not just victims, um, but are also uh, really uh, important fighters and, and, and so should be empowered um, when we go on the streets together as a left-wing bloc 
to actually fight back against these people and say, no, you know, um, our our side is stronger than your side, um, and um, you know, you guys um, do not actually uh, reflect anything uh, real in Australian society. Um, and I also, I think, I would add, it does have the power also to change people's views about these kinds of um, uh, groups and organisations. So, you know, a, a few uh, months ago in March. Um, there was an anti-trans activist, Posey Parker, who came um, uh, across Australia and I was planning on doing a speaking tour across New Zealand and Canada as well. Um, and when she first arrived, people talked to her about her like she was a feminist. Um, the news was reporting um, this women's rights activist coming to, uh, you know, across Australia to talk about her controversial views. And after the consistent protests of mobilising, uh, you know, trans rights activists, um, and uh, kind of left-wing people across the country, and in particular here in Melbourne, where the counter-protests were kind of the, the biggest um, um, and where actually the, the, um, the, the National Socialist uh, uh, Network, the Nazi group that were protesting again this weekend, um, showed up. Um, it totally changed the narrative, and it made it very clear that um, the politics that this person was um, arguing for was not about uh, women's rights, it wasn't about feminism, um, it was about bigotry and anti-trans... Uh, um, an agenda, basically. And so um, not only did that change the kind of uh, uh, conversation about this person and um, then lead to, um, in Victoria, the biggest trans rights uh, rally, pro-trans rights rally that's ever happened, um, but it also inspired counter-rallies across um, New Zealand and and led to uh, her cancelling her tour in, in Canada. So I think the approach of, you know, challenging these people head-on and having um, an approach of mobilising in the streets to, to combat um, characters like this and groups like this on the far right um, is actually just the, the only way that you can um, challenge them seriously. Mm, totally. I think as well these figures, you know, your Andrew Tates and your Posey Parkers, they get this really big rise on social media and people could fall into the trap and thinking this is the majority opinion and that, you know, they can find a large community there and they get sucked into this rabbit hole. And so it just shows the like more importance of showing up in person and showing that that is a really small segment of society and not the dominant narrative and really shouldn't be. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more information about this rally on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you go onto uh, Facebook, um, the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, which is organising um, the rally on Saturday, um, has information posted there. Um, we're meeting um, this Saturday, um, uh, July 29th, um, at the IGA car park in Sunshine, where we'll meet as a big block and then march down. Um, and, yeah, I really, really encourage um, anti-fascists and people on the left to come along and to, uh, yeah, oppose uh, these groups and be a part of, yeah, the left-wing block um, actually putting up a fight against the, the spread of um, the far right. Absolutely. And just as a final question, Amelia, if if anyone is concerned about safety, you know, especially people of colour or people who identify as LGBTI um, what, what can we tell them to ensure that they'll be safe at this event? Yeah, I mean, like, our orientation is always about kind of keeping people safe. And I think um, one of the things that we do is have um, marshalling teams that are designed specifically um, with experienced activists who are going to think about how you can keep, um, you know, um, the, the rally safe and keep people safe. 
um, it also helps. The more people you have, actually, the more powerful you are as a block. So um, I I really would encourage people, yeah, especially actually people of colour and LGBTQI um, people to come along um, and know that they're going to be with other left-wing activists who are, um, you know, don't actually want to just, uh, you know, get onto, into brawls with these people, but actually politically um, combat them. Absolutely. We will link to the event as well in our show notes later today for any listeners who are interested. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Amelia. It's much appreciated. Thank you so much, guys. So that was Amelia from CAF speaking to us about the protest against Nazi recruitment event in Nam. The rally will take place at 2 p.m. this Saturday, the 29th of July at uh, the IJ car park to march towards the gym in Sunshine West. We're going to go to a track now. This is Pineapple Pizza by Persian Kiwi rapper Chai uh, from her new EP called Pineapple Pizza. My pineapple pizza Do I eat that or shut it in the freezer? Thought you'd take me to the movies Turns out you was a teaser Maxed out like a visa But where's the beep on my beeper? Thought I'd get a text or a phone call Neither Why you gotta chew it like that? Feel like a pebble in my shoe like that Don't even tell the truth like that And I don't even think you got a clue like This is way too hard I'm feeling jaded And I'm done pretending to be patient I would rather be alone, not be playing It ain't so complicated, it ain't so complicated Left me in the dark Wasn't like that from the start We had sparks and the chemistry hearts were in everything Now it's all falling apart Didn't ask for the distance Didn't ask for the lies Didn't ask for the girl who you call on the phone every time we would fight Why you gotta do it like that? Why you gotta go and be a poo like that? Why you so rude like that? How did I end up with a dude like that? This is way too hard, I'm feeling jaded And I'm done pretending to be patient I would rather be alone, not be playing with It ain't so complicated, it ain't so complicated Persian Kiwi artist Chai with her new song Pineapple Pizza from the same titled EP. You should go listen to it. It is amazing. On the 29th of March 2023, the Senate referred an inquiry into greenwashing, a harmful practice where high-polluting companies come across as being environmentally friendly, taking advantage of consumers who want to make a difference to climate change. 
Belinda Noble is the founder of Comms Declare, an incorporated not-for-profit that represents communication professionals, agencies and organisations who have declared that they will not promote the growth of fossil fuels or deception, distraction or spin around science or climate action. Belinda is joining us on the show this morning to talk about greenwashing and Comms Declare's submission to the Senate into the federal inquiry. Welcome to the show, Belinda. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, For listeners who may not be aware, could you just tell us a little bit about greenwashing, what it is and the ways in which these big companies misinterpret themselves to consumers? Yeah, so greenwashing is basically overstating green attributes and there's a couple of forms of it, subtle forms of greenwashing. Um, One of them is using uh, or overusing green imagery. So you see that with companies using shots of forests and trees and kids in the bush, for example. Um, Another form is uh, using selective truthful statements to mislead, which we describe as paltering. And another is omitting key information about climate impacts of products and companies, which uh, we call omission. Um, So while only sort of just over 1% of capital expenditure from big oil companies, for example, is spent on clean energy. Green claims are made in around 60% of their ads. So it's a real problem and uh, it's really great to see the uh, the government address it. Absolutely. And I've, I've definitely noticed that, you know, huge kind of increase in imagery, especially um on websites, you go to a website and it's all of a sudden the background is of trees and it says it's net zero and then you look into it and that's not necessarily the case. Um, can you give us some examples of how big companies have done this? Yeah, well, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. Trees is a really big thing. And you see, um, so for example, Ampol was selling a carbon neutral fuel and you know they never ever have photos of their products but this, this carbon-neutral so-called fuel was um, was advertised with photos of trees. Um, another example would be, uh, say, Glencore. They had a, a big uh, campaign last year, and it was about minerals that, um, quote-unquote, advance everyday life. Um, and it had um, photos of um, uh, wind turbines and solar panels, for example, but... Uh, Glencore is the world's biggest coal exporter. Um, so while, yes, they do they do mine minerals that are used in renewable energy production, um, it omitted the fact um, that uh, their, their main business is coal. So that's another form, I think, of, of using this green imagery. Um, one other example is a, a gas company. Their, their uh, logo actually looks like a leaf, um, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah... And, also, the use of even colours, you know, green colours is used um, in their logos. BP, they've got a lovely sort of flower logo. So, yeah, it's a pretty common uh, tactic that's used. And, yeah, I feel like, you know, consumers going into this wanting to make a difference to climate change are well-intentioned a lot of the time and they're being misled and, uh, you know, ending up kind of contributing to the problem uh, without you know, without intent, um, you know, what's the impact been on consumers as well as on the environment, and why is this so dangerous? It, it's dangerous in a couple of ways. Um, for a start, it, it contributes to market failure and it stops fair competition, and it prevents consumers from making rational and informed decisions. 
So this is particularly concerning in Australia, which has some of the highest per capita emissions in the OECD and also deeply entrenched social ties to highly polluting products such as you know, fossil fuels, large um, vehicles and high-carbon foods like red meat. So greenwashing keeps us buying because it um, uh, makes us feel, I guess, less guilty and doesn't give us the whole information about the carbon impacts of those choices. But it also creates distrust and confusion and a lot of really well-meaning consumers um, now distrust green claims. I think it's around half of consumers distrust green claims now, um, which, which is a pity because most people do want to, you know, um, make their choices, um, you know, um, buy products that are good for the environment. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it really stops people from, um, uh, you know, from making those the good decisions they want to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I also read in, uh, you know, Coms Declare's submission to the Senate that it's affected the accuracy and quality of education in schools. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, well, we don't see a lot of it um, in uh, Melbourne or Victoria or New South Wales, but certainly um, it's uh, very common in Western Australia and Queensland for coal, oil and gas companies and their industry associations to offer free educational materials to schools, um, particularly in the areas of STEM, so that's science, technology and maths. Um, these uh, educational materials are produced by the industry, so obviously they're not critical of the industry and uh, they don't um, certainly don't uh, highlight the impact that uh, coal, oil and gas has um, in uh, destabilising the environment and uh, the climate. Um, so, for example, Woodside Petroleum sponsors a school program that teaches uh, children to drill for oil using Vegemite sandwiches. And uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the handouts stated, um, you know, that the greenhouse um, effect... Um, is a result of human activities, but then it says in, in quotes um, a point of some debate. So these um, programs they normalise companies that are doing massive climate damage. Um, they increase their social licence with children, um, which is you know I find fairly, fairly distasteful, and uh, you know potentially um, skew um, what should be. Um, you know, uh, scientific fact, um, you know, being uh, taught in schools. Yeah, I think that's particularly concerning to be targeting young young kids, especially in Queensland and Western Australia, where there is a lot more kind of coal and mining activity. Um, so that that's definitely concerning. Uh, you know, how how have other countries regulated such claims by big companies? I'm sure this is happening globally. Yeah, so um, Europe and the UK in particular have tougher laws. Uh, so, for example, the UK says a company can't omit important information in their advertising. So, for example, a bank couldn't claim to be net zero or good for the climate um, whilst failing to mention that they also fund new gas or coal developments. There was a case about that recently. Um, in Europe, they're stopping net zero claims based solely on carbon offsets. Um, so for those who don't know, carbon offsets are when you sort of purchase uh, something that's good for the environment to apparently offset um, the emissions that your products are causing. So you might plant trees or invest in, um, you know, improved soil or something like that. 
Um, but uh, in Europe now, you can't claim to have a carbon neutral fuel, for example, because you um, buy offsets. Um, I hope that makes sense. Carbon offsets are quite um, are complex, but yeah, it's um, they're saying you can't make net zero claims based solely on offsets anymore. You have to reduce your emissions. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that definitely makes sense. I don't think you should be declaring any sort of net zero status when, you know, you, you're not, you're funding something that has a huge impact um, on the environment. Uh, and that's hard for people to to know, like the, the average consumer would find that to be a difficult thing to, to navigate, to know. Yes, of course. I mean, we make, when we see an ad and we see so many, we we make our decisions or impressions are, are made in a in a millisecond, you know. So you you see that it's green, you see that there's trees, you see the logo of the company, and you just automatically think, oh, that must be good, you know. You, you don't, you know, people don't then go to the company's website and check their annual reports and see what they're really investing their capital expenditure on. So it's um it's really important that these uh, companies that these rules are strengthened and that they can't uh, mislead us anymore. Absolutely. What are some of the main recommendations by Coms Declare to the Senate? Yeah, so um, our main recommendations, I guess, are that uh, there are laws. Um, so we want... Um, now, we believe that coal, oil and gas companies will do everything they can to protect their profits and business models. So we want... Um, uh, well, we've, we've talked to her about a range of, of options. Um, one is that um, there's tobacco-style bans on advertising for coal, oil and gas and also on sponsorship. Um, another uh, recommendation is that um, they can't make claims based on carbon offsets. And we also want uh, mandatory and standardised eco-labelling on advertising. So at the moment, there's around 400 different types of um, eco-label programs around the world. We'd really like to see a standardised um, program that's backed by the government that people can um, be, trust, be trustful of um, and that allows people to make really well-informed decisions about the, the carbon impacts of their uh, choices. Amazing. Uh Belinda, that's unfortunately all we have time for this morning, but we really appreciate you joining us to talk about greenwashing. I think it's something people definitely need to know about. And we will link to the Comms Declare uh, Senate inquiry submission in our show notes later today for anyone who's interested in reading that. Thanks so much. So that was Belinda Noble, founder of Comms Declare, talking to us about the harmful practice of greenwashing as well as their submission into the Senate inquiry. Uh, as I said, we will link to that in our show notes later today, and you can also find it at commsdeclare.org. Uh, so that actually brings us to almost the end of our show this morning. Uh, we're actually going to go out with some Vox Pops from the Smith Street Dreaming Festival, which took place on the 15th of July at Atherton Gardens here in Fitzroy. 3CR's roving reporter Jody Beaton caught up with festival goers, performers, and organizers. You'll hear the voices of Auntie Nancy, Amelia, Crow, and Jason Tamiru. Stick around after that for Accent of Women, and don't forget to tune in to breakfast all week from 7 a.m. We'll be back next week. Until take until then, take care and enjoy some Smith Street dreaming.
Okay, I'm here with Auntie Nancy. Um, yeah, how are you going? How's the day been? Been bloody beautiful, though. Shouldn't swear, should I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, been beautiful. These are lovely little things like this, you know, outings, I call it. Yeah. So staying home and that, yeah. That's true, that's true. I was just talking to Jason before and he was saying that he's hoping to have a couple of these a year, hopefully, in the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that, that's been going for a while. You know, from down there, down there, Detroit itself. Yeah. Down there, yeah. So we've really had um, all those years. I mean, it's, it's just like the billabong. Really? Yeah. And the car gets into the view, uh, into the photos and that there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they've done a good job. They have really people. That's that was going to be my next question actually. Yeah. What's the, the cultural significance of doing this each year for our mob? Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So I think that's good. Yeah, that's really, really good. I had uncle, uncle there. Me, what's the name today? Uh, he come and lost his lost his daughter. Uh, daughter. Oh gosh! Uh, not his daughter. He lost his uh, sister. Right. One. Uh, I can't think of any bloody cousins now. Mine. Uh, he kept looking at me, you know, from the other thing we're playing the guitar and singing. Right. His beautiful voice. Who's? That was a beautiful voice. And then he come down. And I, Oh my God! Not you again, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Yes, aunt." He said, "This is the honest last one." I said, "Oh, I said, did you hear what's my passed away?" I said, "Yeah." In the night time, I said, I "Got the phone call, but they she passed away." So, yeah. so sad. And you're referring to who? Sorry. Yeah, it's really you know all all our family. You know, we were around that. Around the, the you call it? Yeah. smoke thing and that there, so yeah. it was lovely to see that. Flight Troy, yeah, there, Troy is lovely. I've known him for bloody years, you know. And that there, really, it's so good to see the new ones coming up too. Yeah, that's the difference. The little babies being sitting, really dancing. And lovely, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful. I've really enjoyed it. It's more good, you know. It is well. So three of us, three of us have got, got Alzheimer's too. Yeah, oh, my sisters. Jeez, really? Nora, young Nora. Yeah. She's the baby. Oh. And the older one, older sister, which I don't speak to her, she doesn't speak to me. I've seen her for years. Oh. You know, sorry, but just, I, I do hope she'd come, you know, get around to there. I mean, I had lived a, a terrible life. Yeah. That there was very so sad, very very sad. Yeah. What you're going through, what I've been through. I've been in hospital so much, you know, and everything there. Oh God, just tell you know. But there's been so lovely people who we don't really know them, and they come up to me and nobody needs. I said, oh, I'm just so excited. You know, I said, oh, thank you very much for coming up. Yeah. You know? And I mean, the, the sad stories, what's gone on in the past, but do you think that they're being passed on, those stories, you know, like the relevance yes, of Yes, I hope so, yes. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to Oh, good, yeah. Oh, you know, Referring to Cara there. Yeah, Cara. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's very, 
Yes, very good. Yeah, good friend. Oh, I bet she's, you know, I've been here for quite a while there and all the visits. Uh, once I get to organised, you know, help, help, so you know, I thought this lady over here too, all them, you know. Yeah, she's fantastic, you know. Oh, fantastic. I'll get, a, I'll get a, a kick out of it, you know. And when I see them in the street or around around the airway, hello, Nani Nance. Uh, a little smile every time. <laughs> Is there anything that you can think of that could be included that hasn't already been included? Sorry, darling. Is there anything that you think of that could be included that hasn't already been included in these festivals? Like acknowledgements or stories or anything like that? No. My daughter had had, had a note. She was in the... Uh, got a note. Uh, a, a bank. Yes, I am, now. <laughs> um, my daughter uh, put a book, a book on. Right, going back. Yeah, yes. For um, Lake Honda, around there. Right. That's when Johnny King, uh, or Johnny King, the Kings, and they're related, you know. That there, so it's quite, you know, oh, storing that there. And we had a lot of people up there in Ballarat, which was good. We went up there ourselves. And Uncle Lloyd was still alive, thank God. Yeah. There, and uh, we took. Um, Took uh, this lady up up with us because she was uh, in in doing the looking after us, you know, people. There, so it was quite, you know, sad, but still, Lisa, she got her book all done, and so I'm quite happy. Nice, nice. She went around the damn thing there, but uh, I'd love to get that bloody book again. So I've been trying to get it. Because she had 500 people up there. Wow. Yeah. And there. And she worked in there all her life. And she's she's a good, good girl. Good girl. I only had one daughter. And I've got the three boys. Yes. I've met, I've met your son, one of them anyway. <laughs> They're lanky, of course. You see. Yeah, he looks after you. He's a lovely man. Very, very. I don't know what I'd do without him. But he didn't want me, you know, because I don't want to go on a bloody home. Absolutely. And my, and my doctor, I said to my doctor, no, oh, hey, I don't want into there. Welcome Could you put that, put that on my sickness, please? But Nancy doesn't want to go into there. Just pick it up from the Country, Waterball, a couple of hours ago. Came right into here. So it's lovely to be here. Oh, it looks like we've got another act coming on now. Great players here. I'll introduce you later. Uh, Lee Soddy Boy, Mark Morgan. Oh, yeah. I was walking past right, the Grand Hotel in Longwood. Yeah. My cousin sticks his head out the oh, window. Oh, thanks very much, honey, man. Thank you for doing that. Thank you very much for asking. And who's your favourite uh, community radio station? I was doing something down the street there. And basically, we sat down and talked about life. <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, love you. Okay, thank you. Oh, Deadly. They were here with a younger one now. We're younger generations. Um, if you could say your name and just yeah. Oh, my name's Amelia. Um, what else? Yeah, Deadly. So, what do you think of the turnout today? Um, it's good. It's crowded. Yeah, yeah. Seen heaps of family and uncles and aunts. And 
So what do you think of Lee Sonny Boy Morgan, who's playing at the moment? He used to be my old music mentorship. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty deadly, eh? Mm -hmm. yeah. So you were saying you're getting feeling a bit tired now. It's been a long day. Yeah. I'm always tired. <laughs> so am I. I'll get that. <laughs> so you're here with your Uncle Chrissy? My dad. Oh, that's your dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's a deadly fella, eh? <laughs> I mean, he's all right. No, yeah. <laughs> my dad knows your dad. Dad knows too many people. He does know a lot of people. Like everywhere we go, he seems to know everyone. Yeah. So what's your favourite community radio station? 3CR? Would it be 3CR? 3CR! Oh, deadly. Thank you, my baby girl. Alright. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much for that interview. No problem. Have a good day. Uh, crow, how are you going there, my brother? Uh, crow, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, the name is Crow, and the English name is uh, uh, Claudie Douglas. My name is Claude Raymond. Uh, a French name uh, with Aboriginal Claude Raymond, and a uh, Scottish name. Uh, no, I like Crow or Wow Wajabalik better. Yeah, deadly. I heard your speech the other the other week at the march for NADOC week. Oh, yeah, they, oh, I don't know what they're protesting about these days, but uh, they all mean well, uh, and uh, all this voice stuff, uh, you know, not much of a voice. Uh, I reckon the voice is uh, going to come back uh, as an echo. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, my speech, uh, last speech, was uh, uh, practically saying uh, everyone's uh, sheep. They're all sheep, and they're all being herded, and... Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I yeah, think, so I think sometimes the, uh, the package of money sort of influences their decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The money's the root of all evil. If you Absolutely. can't, if you can't uh, be there for community off your own back, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not really genuine, but uh, I can't say for anyone else. They're all genuine. They've all got a job to do in their own right. Uh, yes and no mob or whatever. And now... Uh, uh, politics, Aboriginal politics is so divided these days uh, but I know where we come from and where we started from. We're all one and we all had the same struggle and uh, today there's so much fucking division, sorry about the swearing but so much, so much division uh, but I love them all regardless and I keep things professional. Uh, might have a bit of a bitch here and there uh, on a professional level, uh, but out on the street they're still my brothers and sisters. Absolutely. So what do you think of today's turnouts? Uh, absolutely wonderful. I grabbed a can and uh, I honoured the old parkies here at Atherton Garden. Oh, nice that you mentioned yeah, that. I'm, yeah. So I poured half a can out and I'm drunk on the other half. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and a uh, beautiful event. Uh, 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 dream time in Smith Street, Smith Street uh, Dreaming. And uh, Atherton Garden. Uh, yeah, beautiful thing. And, uh, all we've got to do is uh, respect country, uh, honour our elders and uh, all stay strong uh, with culture and all respect each other. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks very much for that interview. Yeah, one love. Yeah, uh, black, white and brindle, one love. Yeah. We all need each other. Absolutely, yeah. don't we ever. Yeah. Thanks very much, my brother. All right, darling. Take care, my
CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.